John 6, verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I, have, I am the bread that come down uh, out of heaven. They were saying, Is this Jesus, not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It was written in the prophets, and they shall be all, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my fle- the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because the Father... So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which come down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said to the synagogue in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can say it or listen to it? But Jesus conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then, you, uh, if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he is, was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, uh, who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that they would betray, would betray him. And Jesus, and he was saying, For this reason I have come to send, uh, said to you, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted from him from the Father. And saints, actually the verses are from 61 through 71, 66 through 71. Let me just read those real quickly. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were walking away from him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and you've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Saints, you may be seated. I'm sure, saints, there have been people in the past that you have met and you've asked yourself that this person is exactly like me. It might be if you're, God has blessed you with children, it might be your child. I see a lot of myself in both of my sons. But also, if you have a close friend, uh, you might see resemblances of yourself 
in that friend. I mean, there's a reason why you enjoy your close friend. It's because there is a close resemblance from you to your friend. There are characteristics that you have seen in other people. Maybe you've watched a movie in the past and you said to yourself, that character resembles much of my own character. Well, saints, as we read the Word of God, we are very tempted to read of these historical figures and then ask ourselves, is this person just like me? This person resembles me. And saints, if there's anyone in the Bible that, at least speaking for myself and probably for you, that resembles who I am, it definitely is Saint Peter. Uh, Peter, as you know, is that one who at times can say things and you ask yourself, Peter, why are you saying this? And then there are things or times when you read the words of St. Peter and you ask yourself, Peter, that is the most profound and right thing to say at that particular moment. And saints, we've come this morning in light of a situation where it seems there's a dark cloud covering and hovering over the ministry of Christ. We see Peter saying something that we all should not merely read and consider, but also we should live in light of. This great confession of Peter, which is said, which is said in, in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Saints, we're going to consider Peter's great confession, which is three quick points. Number one, Peter's confession of Christ's excellency. Number two, Peter's confession of Christ's word. And number three, Peter's confession of his faith. We'll consider the first point, that is Peter's confession of Christ's excellency. Again, friends, let's not forget the context of this chapter. For it's in the backdrop of chapter 6 that makes Peter's confession remarkable. Peter, our Christ, has performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 people. We, we know of that miracle quite well. Christ miraculously feeds... 5,000 people. And from this miracle, Jesus Christ, as you would imagine, He's gaining quite a following. Uh, people want to know this man and get close to this man from Nazareth. For He performs many miracles. But Christ, He knows the hearts of men. He says to the crowd in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Christ reads the souls of the people. He sees the hypocrisy of the people. He knows quite well what the people want from Him. The people want more miracles from Christ. And He says this in verse 40, uh, 54, The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now let's stop there. You know, if this was a, if this was a conference on how to be a pastor and gain a crowd, we don't look to John chapter 6 verses 54 through 56 for a way to keep a congregation. Christ has just feed thousands of people. They're following Him. They're attracted to Him. They want more of Him. And He says a statement. And based off this statement, they're appalled. 
based off what Christ says, they're appalled. They say in verse 60, this statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? Because of this statement here, these people are already starting to rethink how they view Christ. It's as if the miracles are barely holding on in their minds. And now they're focusing on what Christ has just said. Is Christ here a cannibal? Is He saying that it is right and proper to eat of another human being? I mean, if you put, I mean, if we if we were to take off right now our Christian glasses and put ourselves in the crowd, someone just said, "If you eat me, you will have eternal life." That is very weird, is it not? Very, very, very weird. But we have to we we must note, saints, that this statement from Christ is not by accident. That this statement from Christ is not random. But what Christ is doing is from this statement alone, in the midst of sheep. He's drawing out the goats. In the midst of potential believers, He's drawing out those who are not His true followers. And this point here is already important for us to note. That Jesus Christ cares more about the spiritual state of His church rather than the number of people in His church. From this Verses 54 through 56 alone, we can already see how churches are to be understood, or rather how we are to think about a congregation. That a congregation, or rather Christ does not care about the size of a congregation, but He cares about the theology of a congregation. It doesn't matter how many people are filled the pews, but rather, what is their spiritual soul like? Because Christ didn't have to say this. He could have performed another miracle. But rather, He tells them something in which He knows. He knows they will be appalled by. The people can't receive this. And as thousands begin to walk away from Jesus, imagine that. I mean, considering what we know now from Christ, or who Christ is, but thousands of people walking away, appalled from Jesus Christ. Jesus then turns to his disciples. As thousands are walking away, he turns to his disciples and he asks this question. Verse 67, You do not want to leave also, do you? Now this is a quite turn of events, is it not? The one who at one point the crowd was searching for is now asking all the disciples that he has left, to search your own heart. These people were searching for me. They left me. Now I'm asking you to search your own heart. Will you leave also? Will you follow the crowds and leave with them? The one whom the crowd got on small boats for and searched for is now asking the only crowd that he has left, only a few disciples. He's asking them, You do not want to leave also, do you? This question that Christ proposes to the disciples is a question that I'm sure many of us have asked in various times in our life. When there's a death in a family, will you forsake Christ? When you lose your job and all earthly possessions, will you forsake Christ? 
when you get offended by a Christian in church, will you forsake Christ? After sin continues to beat on you and beat on you, and you you always are falling under temptation, you ask yourself, will I just forsake Christ and just totally give in to my sin? Saints, we've all been there. We've all asked ourselves at some point in our lives, is this, is this following this man from Nazareth, is it even worth it? Is it even worth it? The saints, in light of such dramas in our lives, and in light of such things that God providentially puts in our lives, saints, what should our response be to such question? What should our response be? Well, consider St. Peter's words in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? Beautiful, glorious response, is it not? I mean, the courage and the boldness of Peter in light of thousands and thousands of leaving Christ courageously says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now it's important to note what St. Peter is not saying. He's not saying, to whom shall we follow, my Lord? He's not saying, to what teacher shall we betake ourselves to? Or what scribe, or what Pharisee, or what Sadducee, or what priest, or what rabbi should we follow instead of you? Peter is not looking for suggestions from Christ. He's not saying, well, Christ, okay, that's fine, but do you know of other Christs out there? Are there other ones who have eternal life? Do you have any suggestions? Is there someone better? Peter is not looking for suggestions here. But rather, Peter here is extolling the greatness of Jesus Christ. He's extolling the greatness of Christ. What Peter is really saying, saints, is this, Lord, give us better, someone better, to whom we shall go. If you have someone better, then offer him. But there's no one better. There's no one better than Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is, what shall we gain by forsaking you? Here, Peter understands the great fundamental truth that you learn as a child. Maybe you learn as an adult and and it stays with you. It's one of those first truths that you carry with you all throughout your life into heaven. It is this truth. And saints, don't forget it. That there is no one like Jesus Christ. No matter all the theology that I may teach you, that you may learn, never forget this truth, saints, that there is no one like Jesus Christ. Young people, there is no one like Jesus Christ. You will in college never learn about anyone like Jesus Christ. Your mommy and your daddy, your grandma, whoever, will never teach you about someone greater than Jesus Christ. Here, Peter understands that there is no one like our Savior. And this is a fitting reply, is it not? In fact, this is a necessary reply. In fact, this is the only reply Peter can give. 
Saints, who compares to our Lord? He is the one of Jeremiah 10.6. There is no one like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. He is the one of 1 Samuel 2.2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you. Christ is utterly unique, is He not, saints? From His person down to His work, who in history has been born like Jesus? The eternal Son in the virgin's womb is truly God and truly man. There is no one like Him in history. Not half man, half God. He is truly God and truly man. Who in history has lived like Jesus? This one who is the giver of the law. He gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. That in His humanity, He comes under the law. The very law that He gives, He comes under, subjects Himself unto. And what does He do? He obeys every word and every line perfectly. You do know, saints, that if Christ ever slipped up one time, then there goes your salvation. Just one time slipped up in word or in thought, in action, your salvation is out the door. And our Christ obeys every single line, not in a beautiful garden, but rather in a wilderness. Christ obeys the Father. Consider also His death, who has died like our Christ, who has died like our Savior, dying an agonizing death, but dying an agonizing death victoriously. Dying an agonizing death, yes, a victim, but also the victor. But also, who has, and no one has, but we will one day. Who has rose from the dead like Jesus? Not risen from the dead like Lazarus, only to die again, but rising from the dead triumphantly and lives forever. There's no one like Jesus. No one. Saints, considering all of who our Christ is and what He has done in salvation, Peter's reply to our Lord is a necessary reply. For our Jesus is altogether incomparable. He truly is, saints, incomparable. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the question I have for you as we close this point is have you come to find Jesus Christ as incomparable? Have you come to find Jesus Christ as incomparable? If your world was rocked in such a way, were you ever contemplated to give up on Christ? And saints, let me ask you, or let me ease your mind, if you ever contemplated leaving Christ, that's not a sin. There is a lot of grace that Christ will offer to you. Cooperate with that grace and repeat the words of Peter. After you have contemplated your leaving Christ, repeat the words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? What will I go? What will I do? Saints, even in our own lives, when temptation arises, 
When temptation arises and our flesh desires us to give in to sin. Saints, one of the ways you can fight and kill your temptation is, yes, ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to help you in that moment, but also to stand up to your temptation, to stand up to your sin, and say, I am not forsaking Christ for you. I will not forsake my Savior for you. I cannot leave my Savior. And saying this is our response. Lord, to whom shall we go? Let's consider now Peter's confession of Christ's words. In addition to Peter extolling the greatness of Christ, we also see he extols the greatness of Christ's words. Christ's words. Why should Peter not give up on Christ? Well, consider with me the ending of verse 68. He says, you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Now, this is the most interesting reason why Peter has chosen to stay with Christ, is it not? It's very, very ironic, in fact. For what has caused the thousands to stop following Christ? It was words. It was words. And here, Peter is saying that I'm I'm drawing closer to you because of your words. You see, saints, what caused the people to to go away from Christ wasn't the miracles, but it was the doctrine. It was the theology of Christ. But here, Peter says that it is actually your doctrine and theology that's drawing me closer to you. You see, when the crowd hears the words from Christ, they hear words of offense. But when when Peter hears the words of Christ, he hears words of eternal life. When the crowds heard the words of Christ, if you eat me, drink my blood, you have eternal life. What they hear is the stench of death. But when Peter hears those, he hears a fragrance of life. It's, it's like when, when Christ says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, Peter is saying, yes, of course. Yes, that's right. How else do we have eternal life? You see, saints, Christ's words are what drew the crowds away from Christ. But for Peter, it's what drew him closer to Jesus Christ. Peter understands that Jesus' preaching was not merely just words. But it was words of eternal life. And this is what the Gospels testify of Christ, is it not? Saints, who compares to the words of Christ? Who compares to the words of Christ? The greatest of wedding vows? No. The greatest of Hallmark Valentine cards? No. The most sweetest and loftiest thing you can say to a person? Of course not. Who compares to what Christ says in John 14.4, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will come in him and a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or what about this in John 11.25-26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. He shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. 
Or what about what he says in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes me has eternal life. Friends, as we survey the sayings of Christ, we can ask ourselves this simple question, who compares to the words of Christ? Who compares to the words of Christ? Saints, is it the words of Satan? Do the words of Satan compare? Well, the world says, well, it doesn't compare because the words of Satan are exceedingly greater than the words of Christ. What do the words of Satan say? Follow your passions. Follow the things that you love in spite of everyone else. Follow and do the things that bring you the most pleasure in the expense of others. The words of Satan say, do what you want to do and make your own path. These words, saints, are not words that lead to everlasting life, but they lead to everlasting death. What about the words of the world? Do the words of the world compare to Christ's words? What are the words of the world? Be inclusive. Accept everyone's sin. Be progressive. Go with the flow. Fit in. The gospel of the world says, in this life, be the best person you can be. And hopefully in the end, your, your good deeds will outweigh your bad. That is the gospel of the world. And think of saints, all the false religions and vain philosophies. In the history of man, man has tried to come up with various theories of how one can have a better life in the afterlife. All religions teach this. From Muslims praying five times a day, doing X, Y, and Z. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, do X, Y, and Z. But friends, all systems fail. And all systems will fail. And all systems are failing. It is only the eternal word that has come down from heaven that gives eternal life. And it's belief in this eternal one that grants eternal life. You see, saints, when Peter says to Christ, only you have the words of eternal life, he's not simply saying certain words gives us eternal life. As if our words have abracadabra word magic. If I just say I believe in Jesus Christ, boom, I'm in heaven. Or that we are saved by words. Saints, you are not saved by words. Rather, what Peter is saying is, Lord, you have the words of eternal life because your words are directed to an eternal person. That's what he's saying here. Why, why do not all these false religions grant eternal life? Because they're just words. And they have no substance. They're praying to an imaginary false god. But when you say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your words are directed to a real historical person that is the Lord Jesus Christ who is Himself eternal life. The words that Christ speaks are not words that point to someone else. When Christ says, and when He talks about eternal life, He's speaking about Himself. That He... Not me. Christ is eternal life. 
Christ offers eternal life because He is eternal life. It is Jesus Christ, saints, that is your foundation. That is all your hope. Not faith. Your foundation is not faith. Although, praise the Lord, the Lord has given to you a a supernatural virtue of faith that no one else has. Praise the Lord for that. But that is only an instrument to get you to Christ. Your foundation is not how strong your faith is, how weak your faith is, not how well you can say the gospel, how well you can sing the hymns, how much you know theology, but it is solely Jesus Christ. That is your foundation of all your hope. And Peter at this moment understands this better than anyone else. This is what leads him to say in verse 69, and we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Saints, this is our third and final point. Peter's confession, and what a glorious confession that this is. Here, Peter confesses that which every man, every single man will confess one day, that Jesus is Lord. Every single one, saints, will confess what Peter confesses the Christ you that Jesus is Lord. Now saints, this is a simple confession, is it not? That Jesus is Lord. Simple confession. But saints, it is this confession here that separates believers and unbelievers. In fact, saints, it is this confession here that is the dividing wall between heaven and hell. This confession here that Jesus is Lord, this confession here, saints, is what the Spirit unites or uses to unite us to Jesus Christ. Again, Peter says, we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now notice there's two things Peter is saying here. First, he says, we believe, already believe. And secondly, he says, we have come to know. Now, there might be, is there a contradiction here? saying, I believe, and I'm coming to know. Well, essentially what Peter is saying is this, that our faith in who you are has been strengthened by further knowledge of who you are. Again, our faith in who you are, we know that you are the Son of God, you, we know that you are the Lord, is being strengthened by further knowledge of who you are. In other words, saints, you think you know Jesus Christ well now. Imagine how much more our Lord, by His Spirit, wants to to teach you. So that you're strengthening in Christ. So that when temptation rises, it is of second nature to you to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's not a tussle between you and the temptation. Not to say that not to say that in this life you'll never have temptation, but temptations are much easier. The battle is much easier. Because you know your Christ. You know the Lord. This is important for us to grasp, saints. That the more we come to know our Christ, the more we can be assured that our faith is in the right object. Young people, hear me now. Hear me now. That believing upon Jesus Christ is not a fairy tale. It's not, he's not an imaginary person. 
But you can trust and believe. And I put my whole life on it. (laughs) That if you believe upon Jesus Christ, that your faith is in a right object. Because we all, even young ones, we all don't want to go through life doing something and at the very end knowing and come to find out that it was all a waste. It was all worth it. It was all, what was it worth? Don't you feel like that sometimes in your prior life? You say to yourself, God, why didn't you just save me when I was five years old? And the knowledge that I have of you now, just infuse it into that five-year-old myself so I'd have to go through all X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Young people, hear me now. You don't have to go through the struggles of, of wondering whether or not there is a God whether or not heaven is for real, whether or not there is a judgment, whether or not there is hell. You can believe now, young people, young person, and even middle-aged, even old person, strengthen your faith by understanding who our Christ is because, saints, the more you come to know about Christ, the more you come to love your Christ. You know this well in marriage. The more you become to get familiar with your wife or your husband, the more you begin to love your husband. You begin to love your wife. Well, saints, you're married to Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone that you should know more about, if there's anyone that should just capture your mind, that should, when you when you hear about Him, when you read about Him, you cannot utter a word because He is so incomparable. It is Jesus Christ. It is our Lord. With Christ, saints, when we face great opposition to Christ, Peter can say to Christ what the crowds didn't want to believe, that you are the Holy One of God. You see, saints, the crowds just thought that Christ was just a miracle worker. But to Peter, He was more than that. He was the Holy One of God. He was the Holy One of the Lord. The saints wanted to think that Peter's confession is a product of his own Investigation. We're to think that Peter's great confession of Christ has come by way of his own experience and knowledge. That he has, he has looked at Christ from the far, gathered data, and then based upon that data, he believes upon Christ. No, no one in this life confesses that Jesus is Lord and is the Holy One of God in and of themselves. Only one needs to happen. God needs to intervene. This is a product of God intervening in Peter's life. This is a product of the Lord infusing a divine and supernatural light, mind you, not just to Peter, but to you, saints. The same, the same divine and supernatural light that Peter confesses, and isn't it interesting and glorious? That this same confession that is written in Holy Writ is the same confession that comes from your mouth. Because it comes from the same Spirit. It comes from the same source, the grace of Christ. Here, Jesus Christ, or rather Peter, recognizes what the others failed to see. The reasoning behind Peter's great confession is the same reasoning behind another great confession of Peter. Remember in John and Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter's great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember what Christ said to to Peter? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Saints, the same can be said of you as well. 
where can you locate the reasoning for you believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and saying that He is Lord and the Holy One of God? Not because you read a textbook. And not because of your grandma. And not because of your grandfather. Not because of your mom or whoever told you about the Gospel of Christ. But rather, it is the Father who revealed the Son to you. And the Spirit quickened you in such a way so when you hear the words of Christ and about Christ, your mind ascends and grabs on to Christ and says, yes, it is true. He is the Holy One. He is the Savior. Saints, don't ever undervalue. Don't ever underappreciate. Don't ever just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, as if it's just, you know, like everyone's a Christian. <laughs> Don't ever undervalue or underappreciate the divine and supernatural light that God has given to you. It is a glorious gift to be a Christian. That's something that we should have on billboards in Times Square, is it not? It's a glorious gift to be a Christian. It's the greatest life in the world, is it not? What life compares to the Christian life? What Blessings do we get than being not a Christian? So, saints, as we close this morning, remember the words of St. Peter. That when temptation arises, when your world is being rocked, when it's time for you to stand up to those who don't profess Christ and are urging you to move away and step away from Christ, you ask yourself, Lord, to whom shall we go? Let's pray.